I would go to my appointment, then hop on the train, go into the city, have a full day of work, and then go to um, acupuncture or whatever other appointment that I felt was going to help (laughs) the process. So it was just a really, it's like having a second job, and I don't think a lot of people talk about that. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan. And mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Kristen Hodgden, founder of the Fertility Tribe. One in eight families struggles with infertility, and the cost, both financial and emotional, is often steep. Kristen founded the Fertility Tribe, an online infertility support community, to give voice to every unique path to parenthood. She lives in Long Island, New York, with her husband, Dan, and their two-year-old twins, Brooke and Charlie, who were conceived via IVF. Today, Kristen's here to share her unique journey to parenthood so more moms can understand what the process can look like and better plan for their options and the cost if they face infertility. As always, stick around until the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this conversation with Kristen, or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Kristen. K-R-I-S-T-Y-N for the complete show notes. Are you ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hey, Kristen, welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show. Hi, Chelsea. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to have you here and to talk about something that I don't think we talk about enough as moms, publicly at least, (laughs) and something that we haven't talked about before on the podcast. So tell us a little bit about the work that you do. I am the founder of the Fertility Tribe. It started as a personal blog a couple years ago when I went through my own infertility journey. Now it is an editorial site and community for all those who are on their own fertility journeys. So everything from IVF to adoption to surrogacy, we kind of cover it all and support anyone and everyone on their unique path to parenthood. So tell me a little bit about how you ended up running the fertility trot? I was 27 when I was sort of thrust headfirst into the world of fertility treatments. I went off the birth control pill a couple months after getting married and never got my period back. It turned out that I'd been on the pill for 11 years and it was masking the fact that I had polycystic ovarian syndrome, which there are several different markers for PCOS, but mine were elevated androgens, so testosterone, male sex hormones, and irregular periods. So when I went off the pill, I never got my cycle back, and that was the first big indicator. Then went to my regular OBGYN for some testing, which included a blood test and ultrasound, and sure enough, she diagnosed me with PCOS. And what's kind of unique about my journey is that I then got referred immediately to the fertility clinic. So there was no trying for a year to no avail, thankfully. But at the same time, I felt like I was knee deep in fertility treatments before my brain had the capacity to catch up with what was actually happening. (laughs) I I'm a reader, a writer. I believe in the power of words to heal. And so I started this personal blog as sort of therapy for me going through fertility treatments at such a young age, someone who thought like I was just going to go off the pill and get pregnant. And 
sort of documenting my journey and sharing my insights with others who are kind of just starting their journey. The feedback on both my blog and Instagram was really positive and it seemed like there was really a need for something like this, giving a voice to the struggle to get pregnant because I think in the media and on social media, we see all these positive pregnancy tests and perfect birth stories. And so often the path to motherhood is not so straight. And I really felt like that needed to be shared. So do you think the blog started a little bit as like a way for you to process everything that you were going through? Absolutely. And one of my first blog posts was just five things I wish I knew when I started fertility treatments. One of those things was it's a marathon, not a sprint. The meaning behind that was kind of that my OBGYN, when she diagnosed me with PCOS and sent me to the fertility clinic, she basically said, you're 27 years old, you're young, you're healthy, you just need some Clomid and you're going to be fine. And that gave me a very false sense of (laughs) this is going to be quick and easy. Like, I don't even have to try. I'm just going to go to the fertility clinic and take some Clomid and As it turned out, Clomid is not a very fun drug to be on and, you know, lots of mood swings and hormonal acne and just not everyone has those side effects, but just not a walk in the park like she made it seem. And you still have to go in for monitoring every other day because they have to monitor to see how you're responding to the medication. And it's a really big time commitment. And at the end of all that, to get a negative pregnancy test is devastating. And you feel like you're putting way more work into it than just doing it the old fashioned way to not get a positive result when you're under 30 and you thought that this wasn't going to be this hard. It's kind of a tough pill to swallow. For me, I just kind of wanted to pass that insight along. This is not something that you just go into and there's a magic recipe. Everyone's body is different. Like they could have ran initial testing on me and found that my husband had low sperm motility. Like every, there's so many factors. It's your age, it's your hormones, it's your husband's reproductive health, it's your lifestyle. There's so many different factors and it's like a science project. Like (laughs) every cycle, the doctors are basically trying to find the magic formula that works for you. And it's not a two-week thing where it's like, here, take this magic medicine that's going to get you pregnant. And that might seem like a tough reality to pass along, but I also kind of wish I had known that I could maybe expect a little bit longer of a journey because I just kept thinking, oh, by six weeks from now by Christmas, by my birthday. You know, it was like every, I kept saying, I'll be pregnant by, and then when that period of time or milestone came along and it wasn't a reality it just hurt even more yeah I've actually heard the like 30 30 30 10 stat of like 30 percent of the time it's just the woman 30 percent of the time it's just the man sometimes then both and then 10 percent they just don't even know right and so then it's like trying to play a game of guess and check of what's gonna work and what's not gonna work and so you actually Mm -hmm. brought up a really good point which is the time commitment of even this first round right with the Clomid the progress, the check-ins, and then the mental health weight. What were you doing for work at this period of time? I worked in book publishing actually until earlier this month. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I worked at a publishing company for eight and a half years. It depends on, I know, what 
publishing house you're at, but that can be a pretty intense job. How did going through this process while you were working go for you? It was very tough. I mean, there was no work from home like there is now. Like at the time I was going into the office in New York City every single day and my clinic was actually 30 minutes from my house, which was then still for like a 35, 40 minute Long Island Railroad ride into the city. So I would have to get a ride from my mom or my husband to the clinic for say 6.30 a.m. monitoring or 7 a.m. monitoring. And then they'd have to go back home, go to their own jobs. I would go to my appointment, then hop on the train, go into the city, have a full day of work and then go to acupuncture or whatever other appointment that I felt was going to help (laughs) the process. It was just a really, it's like having a second job. And I don't think a lot of people talk about that. That's another thing that I really had no idea about. Like when my OBGYN told me, you're just going to have to take this medication. She didn't say, and go for monitoring every third day until you ovulate. (laughs) It's like, you know, it's, there's no manual that they give you when you're diagnosed with infertility that kind of tells you what to expect. And I think it sort of needs to be normalized because given the amount of women in, in the fertility tribe community, I think it's something that's way more common than, than the mainstream lets on. And it sometimes bothers me when it, it takes a celebrity like Amy Schumer or Chrissy Teigen to come out and admit that they, I obviously love that they're speaking up about it, but it shouldn't take that to sort of normalize this experience. Cause every single person, I don't know about you, you, but me as a mom, like every other mom I talked to went through some sort of struggle, whether it was a miscarriage or IVF or just tickled them a little bit longer than expected. It doesn't seem like many people have that super easy road. I think that there's so many people I know that have gone through that. I didn't personally, but even the statistics say like it's one in eight struggle with infertility. And then I can't remember the exact stats on miscarriage, but I think it's one in five. One in four. Uh, One in four. So it's very common. And I think Mm -hmm. that it does a disservice to young women as well to present this thing that it's just going to be easy, that you're going to like come off the pill and you're going to get pregnant in the first six months, right? Like that's what we normally tell people. (laughs) So you went through the first round of Clomid. What happened next? I actually went through two or three rounds of Clomid and much to my shock, because everyone was saying this would work for me, I did not get pregnant. And then they tried, and I was also having really bad mood swings and side effects from the Clomid. So they actually tried Femera. It's also known as Letrozole. It's another ovulation induction medication and that didn't work at all and then they put me on hormone injections but with IUI and that was the point where like a light bulb went off in my head and I said to myself and my doctors why am I if I'm doing hormone injections why don't I just do IVF the thing that made me mad about the whole process was that no one at the fertility clinic had talked to me about IVF as an option, had presented it as maybe this will work sooner or faster or be a better option for you because your egg reserve levels are high. I think they automatically go through the motions of you have to try IUI first. But there are a lot of really great benefits to doing IVF. For example, I have embryos left in storage for 
the possibility of having another baby. And that's really nice insurance policy to know that I don't have to go through those injections again. They're there. Hopefully it would work next time again, but there are a lot of benefits to doing IVF and they never checked if I had coverage and I had had coverage the entire time. To do IVF. To do everything. And I had no minimum because some insurance companies require that you do a specific amount of IUIs. I think my clinic just A, assumed that because I was young, the IUIs would work for me. B, that some insurance companies do require X amount of IUIs first. So they kind of just do that as a baseline. Like we have to try three before we even consider moving on to anything else. But I was sort of annoyed that I didn't have all my options presented to me. All of my insurance coverage, whatever that was, presented to me. I had been working with the finance department anyway. Every step of the way, it took my brain a week to catch up (laughs) to what was actually happening to me. You said you were in touch with the finance department. What were you discussing with the finance department? Just what your insurance covered? Well, I mean, you do get bills. I mean, so along the way, I... I've been doing IUIs and I I was getting bills for whatever co-insurance or co-payment I needed to pay. And I knew it wasn't a ton, but I guess it was part mental block by me thinking I'm not going to need IVF and part that they never even mentioned to me, oh, wow, you actually have really good insurance coverage. You can do IVF and it will be covered if that's something that you need to do. I kind of wish that all of that had been looked into up front. Instead, it was kind of just IUI by IUI. Here's what you owe. Here's what was covered, you know. In retrospect, or if you're someone who's facing one of these situations, would you recommend calling your insurance company from the get-go and and finding out about the policies or asking the finance department? How do you figure out what kind of coverage you have? Absolutely. And I think the reason I wasn't as worried about it was because when I saw that first IUI bill, I knew I had a decent amount of coverage for IUI, but I didn't know a lot of the details of what I was covered for. And I didn't know at the time that medication is often considered a separate charge from the actual cycle, especially with IVF. And I I ended up finding out right before I started IVF that I had a lifetime max insurance benefit for IVF which was, say, $20,000. And then I also had a lifetime max for IVF medications, which was another $20,000. So it's not all going towards the same lifetime max. So yeah, I think calling your insurance company and right off the bat and kind of going through the whole process, like what if I have to do IVF? What if I have to do XYZ and see what your coverage is? And just have everything laid out in front of you. Because like I said, I think for me, it was a mental block of, oh, I'm not going to have to do that. And that's what my doctors had kind of convinced me of as well. But I think having all your options in front of you is probably the best idea. Now, $20,000 sounds high, but I also know medical procedures add up super fast. So what in general, I know it depends on where you are in the country and who your doctors are, but what generally does a round of IVF cost? Mine costs about $13,000. For one round? Yes. Do a lot of families have to go through multiple rounds of IVF? Well, I only had to go through one round. But what's interesting is what's considered a round. So I consider a cycle of IVF one round of 
IVF stims, we call them like hormone injections, an egg retrieval. Okay. And then after your egg retrieval, the eggs either fertilize or don't. And then they go through the embryo development stage and then they ultimately become embryos. And there's a big drop off between how many eggs are retrieved and how many embryos you get. Mm-hmm. So I got 45 eggs, 32 fertilized, but and then I got 12 embryos. There was a pretty big drop off, but then I had to do a frozen embryo transfer for, say, $4,000, and then that failed, and then another frozen embryo transfer. So even though one cycle is technically an egg retrieval, if you have six embryos, you could essentially potentially do six embryo transfers, which are all a couple thousand dollars. You guys got, you went slightly over that lifetime max, it sounds like. No, I actually did one IVF cycle, but then did two transfers. And somehow, because the medication was about half of that 13,000. Okay, so it was splitting between the two maxes. Yeah, that's why it's super confusing. But I ended up not meeting the max. But I was really nervous when I had my first embryo transfer fail. I got really nervous because I hadn't done genetic testing of Mm -hmm. my embryos because it wasn't covered by insurance. And that's about $6,000 out of pocket. And we just didn't have the extra money to. And my doctor said because I was young and my husband was young, there was a higher chance of having chromosomally normal embryos. But at that point, when my first transfer failed, I was really nervous. I said to myself, why didn't I do that? Because if my second and third would have failed, then I potentially would have gone over that lifetime max if I had to do another Mm -hmm. IVF cycle. This is exactly why, Kristen, you and I talked about this before coming on the show, was why we wanted to talk about this, right? Because these are big numbers, 13,000, 4,000, 4,000, 6,000. And you were lucky that you had good insurance coverage, but there has to be a lot of women in the fertility tribe that don't have this type of coverage. Am I right in that? Oh, 100%. It's so sad. And it's one of the biggest issues I see in the community is that so many women don't even think about IVF as an option. They just count themselves out from the beginning because the price tag's too high. Other women mortgage their house. Other women do everything, every side job they possibly can. One woman in my support group recently got a job at Starbucks because Starbucks is actually one of the companies that fully covers IVF. If you've worked there for, I don't actually know the amount of time, but I think you have to work there for a certain amount of time and then they'll cover it. So people, they have to make big changes to their lives, right? To necessarily get this coverage or just think differently about family planning, right? Because even if you went to adoption, that's not cheap either. Oh, absolutely not. And one of the most common things that women struggling with infertility are told is, why don't you just adopt? And people think it's the easiest thing in the world, but there's two factors. It's very expensive and it's not a guarantee. A birth mother can pull out of that deal the minute that baby's born. It just sometimes doesn't work out. And I've seen that way more often not work out than work out. Not to say not to pursue adoption because it's amazing, but I think people present it as the easy way out and it's not an easy route. Not at all. We have a family friend who was doing like a foster to adopt. And so they had the baby for a year and then the parents decided they didn't want to 
to give up custody. And so the baby went back and it was heart wrenching. It's really, it can be really, really hard to go through that, those situations, just like anything else. And in addition to the cost that goes with it. Big lifestyle changes or not pursuing treatments at all due to cost. There are a few grants out there. We have an infertility support community and app that I have a a topic that includes some infertility grants that people can check out. There are some companies that offer financing and there are some states that have IVF mandates, but there are also a lot of loopholes um, (laughs) that companies can get through to not have to cover it. It's just not, and then not to mention surrogacy or donor eggs, like that's a whole nother ball game of, of cost. If you have to go this route, it's expensive. Yeah, cost is absolutely a huge factor in fertility treatments and family planning. I want to ask you more about that. But before we do, let's take a quick pause to hear from our partners who help make the Smart Money Mama show possible. Whether you're building an emergency fund, paying off debt, or saving for that special vacation, every little bit counts, which is why I love to use Ibotta, a free cashback app that lets you easily earn actual cash rewards, not points or mysterious codes on almost all of the things you buy. Groceries, household items, school and office supplies, furniture, restaurants, clothes, diapers, and so much more. Don't you want to save on purchases you're already making and put that extra cash towards your goals? I know you do. So download the Ibotta app or add the Chrome extension to your browser. And don't forget to use the code MAMA2020, that's M-A-M-A 2020, when you create your free account, because Ibotta is offering Smart Money Mama's listeners an exclusive $20 cash welcome bonus to supercharge your savings. Don't leave money on the table, Mama. Start using Ibotta today. I'm going to ask you a two-stage question, the first being, what do you wish people just starting to go through the process of infertility knew about the cost and process that you didn't know at the beginning? I think it's pretty widely known that IVF is very expensive, but I think knowing that there are less expensive options to try first is one. The other piece of advice would be just call your insurance company and really get the details on what you're covered for and what you're not just so that you know going in. Create some sort of plan as best as you can to kind of budget for it. I know a woman in my one of my support groups, she's currently six months out from starting IVF because they basically calculated how long it would take them to come up with the money for an IVF cycle. And they decided it was six months. And so she's basically doing everything she can in the next six months to prepare her body for IVF basically because of financially she has to wait and that's a reality for a lot of women and couples. Yeah. I think definitely as clear as you can get on the cost, right. It's got to be helpful to know, at least then, you know, your options, especially, I know you said early on in the episode that you didn't have to go through like a year of trying, which I do know is a very common. I've had friends have to go through that year before they'll get referred to Mm -hmm. a fertility doctor. It's just a very hard year. And so I think that like looking up what the costs are then maybe and like saving just in case, quote unquote, worst case scenario, you get pregnant in that year and then you have the money to to use. Yeah, we actually did an event with a woman who is a fertility finance coach recently and she 
said that you can actually negotiate the cost of your treatment because fertility clinics are a business. Even though you sort of think, okay, this is a fixed price, it's medical, a lot of these clinics are in competition with one another. And her advice was always get a second opinion and bring that price back to the one with the higher price. But at the end of the day, you always need to go with your gut with your doctor and have someone that you're really comfortable with. But just knowing that that price doesn't always have to be final and not everyone is always paying the same price, which is something I didn't know. Try to negotiate. It might be to no avail, but you can try. Yeah, I think that's very common with medical bills. And we don't realize how much of it is. This is a business and there is wiggle Mm -hmm. room. You often hear it on the back end, right? When people owe big medical bills and they come back and say like, I need some payment plan or I can't afford this. And then all of a sudden the price can drop, which is incredibly frustrating part of our our system, but Mm -hmm. it's just the way it is. So yes, negotiate. That's another good thing to know. Mm -hmm. The second stage of that question for you though was, you've had this fertility tribe. You've talked to so many different women who have gone through this situation. What do you wish people who hadn't gone through this knew and maybe wouldn't say or would say (laughs) to be better support people? I think that... It's something that's very hard to understand unless you've been through it because it is all consuming. You are, when you're going through fertility treatments, you are on hormones. That's number one. Like as if women weren't (laughs) hormonal enough, you are going to the doctor's office before work every other day to get monitored and to get a wand up your (laughs) hoo-ha. You're... You're surrounded by pregnancy announcements on social media if you're at that age. And even if you're not, you're constantly just super in tune to pregnant people all of a sudden Mm because it's what you desperately want. And I think kids are such a, having kids is such an ingrained part of our society. And as a woman, it's so, like for so many, it's like, oh, you get married and you have kids. And when you can't have kids for when you want to and don't know if you ever can, that is absolutely devastating because it's like, imagine you had a dream and someone told you that it wasn't possible or that you, the odds are so far stacked against you that, that there's, no, there's no telling if you're ever going to make it happen. And it's out of your control. I ran an article today on our site it used the metaphor infertility is like running on a treadmill. You're running and running and you're not getting anywhere. I think that's one of the best metaphors I've ever heard. And then she wrote, first of all, you're not getting anywhere. And then someone pulls that emergency red stop plug out of you and you fall off the treadmill. And that's what it's like when you see a pregnancy announcement. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's, it's true. And it's, it's just so all encompassing. And I think friends and family need to sort of understand that. And I was very open about my journey with friends and family because I kind of wanted to avoid those awkward, when are you guys having a baby question? But for those who aren't as open, it's tough fielding those questions from your mom. Of course, you want to give her a grandbaby, but you, it's a little bit out of your control right now. And (laughs) there's just so many comments that people make that are so well-meaning and I still get it. I have twins through IVF and every other day someone asks me, do they run in the family? And I say, nope, I did IVF just to make people uncomfortable. But, (laughs) 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 but, but, you know, it's 
little things like that that you wouldn't even think about and people are super well-meaning but it really does like my friend used a sperm donor because her husband was infertile and she said that as something as little as someone saying oh who does she look like can be a trigger because it's like well she doesn't have his DNA, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's just so many things in everyday life that come up that affect your emotions when you're going through it. I think being upfront with your friends and family members about your limits and how you're feeling just so that they can sort of be sensitive and cancel plans if you need to and take care of yourself and just don't say be positive. <laughs> just say that's shitty and it sucks and I'm here for you. (laughs) Yeah. Your point earlier about just like this thing, it's this thing that it's expected, right? You get married, you have kids. And so I had a friend that was going through infertility and she was like, I know everyone cares so much, but when they're like, have you tried changing your diet? Have you tried running? Have you tried like all these things? She's like, you're just making it more my fault. In yeah, like if you would just try harder, maybe you would get pregnant. Oh, and obviously yeah. that is not a helpful. Well, or just someone, relax. That was the other one. She was like, if anyone yes. if person tells me to relax. Well, and <laughs> someone put it really in a great way recently, where it's she said, "You're taught in life that if you work hard, you'll achieve your goals, and you can put your all into fertility treatments and still not end up with a baby." That is sort of the opposite of what we're taught as women, like you can do anything and you can accomplish your goals with this. It's completely out of your control. So for someone who's type A, (laughs) that's like not an ideal situation. (laughs) No, no, very stressful. So we're calling our insurance. We're negotiating the price if we can. Was there anything else that the uh, financial expert you talked to recommended that was interesting to you or new to you? I think she was kind of talking about ways to be savvy with making money, like selling your clothes on Poshmark. And she said, do more of what you love. So say you're really good at something, try to figure out how to monetize that because it's something you're already doing technically, but it might be so so freelancing. If you're a writer, you know, something like that so that you're kind of using your skills you already have just to be a little bit savvy and make extra money. Yeah. And I think that's a reality, unfortunately, for so many women that don't necessarily have great health coverage is that you're going to have to get some kind of other job or find a way to make more money to afford these treatments because they're not cheap. And oftentimes simply like just cutting, being a little more frugal is not enough to save up. So you guys got pregnant through IVF, your second transfer. What was your financial situation going into parenthood? I know for a lot of moms in our community start thinking about money a lot more seriously as soon as the next generation is in the picture. So where where did you guys stand work-wise and goals-wise as you were preparing for your twins? We both were working full-time, so we were in a pretty good financial situation. Thankfully, like I said, I had coverage for IVF, so it wasn't too crazy what we ended up having to pay out of pocket. And then I actually had a really generous maternity leave as well. I was home for almost six months. So that's amazing. Yeah. So that was great. And then working, then we've been working full time basically this whole time in the fertility tribe has been sort of my side hustle passion project. But um, I actually just left my full time job earlier this month. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Um, And it's interesting because I've always loved my full time job and it was such a passion for me. I love books and 
I worked in publishing, but this has sort of become my my life now. And I'm just so obsessed with helping women who are struggling to conceive and and, and who need that community because um, I think it's so important to be around others who are sort of going through the same thing and or who have been through the same thing when you're going through a difficult time, whatever that might be. So what was it like uh, growing your business as a side hustle and working full time while raising twins? Absolutely insane. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and honestly, I probably would have kept doing it just because it was nice to be able to put anything that I made from Fertility Tribe back into the business because I had a steady paycheck from my full-time job, but at the same time, COVID hit and I didn't have childcare and that kind of pushed me over the edge as it has many people. I think COVID also put things into perspective for a lot of people. And for me, I don't like to give 75% to anything. I felt like I was being a 75% mom, a 75% entrepreneur, a 75% employee it's like you can't pull from an empty cup. You have to like, yes, it's great having a paycheck, but you also have to take a leap of faith at some point. I'm definitely not lacking motivation there. So I, it almost kind of lights a fire when you know you have to get scrappy. (laughs) (laughs) It's been hectic, but now I'm able to focus on just the kids and doing what I love with the fertility tribe. So it's an exciting time. Mama's Kristen just said just the twins and running the business. Like, <laughs> like that was like an light load that she's got over there. <laughs> yeah, but it, you know what? Having kids kind of puts things into it really kind of drove me to do it all, even though you'd think you'd have less time, but but you want to do it to make them proud one day, you know? Absolutely. And it's that quote too of you want something done, give it to a busy person. We, oh, 100%. we make time for what needs to get done. We can absolutely do it. Yeah. So does the fertility drive at this point replace any of your income? Or are you going to be trying to grow it from kind of like just covering costs and up? I've made a, like a decent amount this year so far. So it's not covering my salary completely, but it's definitely contributing. So that's really positive. And I think when I had my full-time job, I was less focused on revenue because I knew I had a steady paycheck coming in. So leaving my job actually almost motivated me more, like I said, that because I knew I didn't want to be struggling for money financially, Mm -hmm. you know, raising two kids. So (laughs) it definitely made me kind of look at my business with a different lens. I also left a lucrative career to run a business. And so I know a little bit what that looked like for us, but how did that look like the discussion with your spouse and then financially planning for like how long it was going to take you to get Fertility Tribe up to replacing your old salary? Well, my husband is in finance, so he was very resistant to the idea because he just looked at the cold, hard numbers Mm -hmm. of you have this guaranteed paycheck coming in and But from a mental health standpoint and the stress and knowing that I wasn't giving my business my all because I had a full-time job was eating at me because it felt like it wasn't living up to its full potential and that kills Mm -hmm. me. (laughs) Um, So I kind of just impulsively quit. (laughs) 
I mean, I had been thinking about it for a while, but. So did you surprise him with this? No, I kind of just was like, I'm quitting today. And then I did it. (laughs) That sounds like surprising him. (laughs) Yeah, but I, you know, I had been thinking about it for a while. And really the, the COVID thing just, like I said, magnified everything. It was like, how is anyone sort of working from home with two toddlers running around and they don't let me do anything? And I'm already working at night. But the time, the time slots that I could be working, I want to be working on my business, but I have my boss asking me to do stuff. Like, at least now, if I badly use my time, that's on me. Like, I don't have to answer to anyone. (laughs) Yes. Now you have yourself for a boss, which can be good and bad. Yes, exactly. What are your plans for Fertility Tribe over the next year or so? We have a new online infertility support community and app, which is really cool. It's its own app, and, and we have almost 2,000 members in it since May, which has been really great. It's a place for people to connect from all stages of infertility and different diagnoses, and you can meet women who share your diagnosis or are at the same stage of their journey, so it's been great for connections. And then within that, I have um, a premium membership, which includes virtual support groups and some extra content, and that's $5.99 a month. I've been really active with my members and, and the women who come to the support groups have been giving me really great feedback and saying that it's been really helping. And it's fun to watch because the women who have been coming to all the support groups are now friends and following each other's journeys. And, and because this is my business baby, it's like, so it's fun to see, you know, my site is an editorial site, which shares stories and articles that I'm really growing as well with starting to share more expert content, not just stories. So we have a bunch of different platforms and have partnered with a lot of cool companies and kind of just taking it <laughs> day by day. It's like I'm this new, like the the opportunities seem endless now that I'm like looking at it from this is my income, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it opens up all the doors. <laughs> yes. <laughs> very, very cool. So Kristen... Anything else you wish you want moms to know, especially moms that are maybe currently going through infertility? Well, since your audience is mostly moms, I I did want to mention that secondary infertility is very prevalent as well. And that Mm. is when, when you had no trouble conceiving your first child, but then you have trouble conceiving your second. And I think moms that suffer from secondary infertility often feel a lot of shame because it's like those well-meaning comments of, oh, but you already have one kid. And then it's sort of, you're like, well, but that doesn't mean I don't want to give them a sibling, but, but maybe I should just be grateful for what I have and shut up. But you know, that's not, your feelings are valid and infertility is infertility, whether you have a kid or not. I mean, again, it's, you had a picture of how your life, you thought your life would look. And if you wanted a big family, the inability to give your child a sibling can be extremely upsetting. That is all valid. And there are so many women in our community that are dealing with that. And so I thought I'd throw that out there because if you're already a mom and struggling to conceive a second or even third child, I mean, I have twins and I think about it constantly, how, what my journey will look like if I wanted to have another one. And it's scary. I know a number of people who exactly your situation got pregnant with the first, no problem. Second was hard. And then even one family friend who the first and second were easy. And then the third was really hard. And so A lot of people definitely face that. And I like that you called out that you had a vision for what your life looked like. If it doesn't look like that, it's hard and your feelings are valid. And no one should 
people make well-meaning comments, but people also make mean comments sometimes and just ignore yes. those people. <laughs> They're <Exactly>. not helpful. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, just get those people out of your life. <laughs> exactly. No one has time for that. <laughs> Kristen, before we let you go, we have to have you try on the Smart Money Mama's sorting hat. So the sorting hat is our version of the hot seat where we ask the magical hat to reveal something about you. Are you ready? Sure. What was your first job? Oh, Cold Stone Creamery. <laughs> Is that where you have to like sing? Yes. When they tip you? Yes. How often did people actually make you sing? Often because it was when they first kind of opened and it was still a novelty and everyone wanted you to sing. So that was fun. <laughs> Teenage job, I'm assuming? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how many of us like worked at ice cream shops or, you know. Yeah, I was also a bank teller, which was fun. A bank teller? Yes. That one I have not heard before. (laughs) (laughs) How long did you do that for? A couple of years, actually. I didn't mind it because it was all elderly people that came in, and I'm very talkative, and it was like a social job for me. (laughs) Hey, that's great. I don't remember the last time I walked into a bank branch. Well, that's the thing. Now, back then, it was 15 years ago. It was definitely very uh, still a thing. Yes, totally. But now, yeah, it's like now I really, I don't know the last time I was in a bank branch. <laughs> well, I'm sure there's still lots of older people going to bank branches and chatting with, with lovely people like you, yes. Kristen. <laughs> so, Kristen, where can people find your app, visit your site, and learn more about the work you do? It's www.thefertilitytribe.com and at the Fertility Tribe on Instagram. You can find the app on all of our different platforms. That's fantastic. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us and enlightening us about this journey. Thank you, Chelsea. I'm so happy to be here. I'll talk to you soon. Mamas, I'm so grateful to Kristen for coming on the show and sharing so much of her personal journey. For so many families, fertility can be a marathon, not a sprint. If you're on that journey now, I hope you felt supported hearing Kristen's journey and that you take care of yourself as much as possible during this time. As always, I've wrapped up my three favorite takeaways from this chat with Kristen to help those on their own infertility path or as financial suggestions that you can make to your friends who may be facing infertility. First, ask questions about your healthcare coverage for infertility as soon as possible. Kristen asked about IVF sooner, she may not have needed to go through IUI or have more directly addressed her options with her doctor. Also, it's always helpful to know what your limits are. Once Kristen knew her lifetime maximums, she could better plan for what they could afford. It's always good to get clear on your numbers with any big decision. But especially now when it's open enrollment, it's a good time to investigate what infertility coverage is available in all plans presented to you and or your partner. You may find that if you've been on a high deductible plan or one partner's plan over the others in the past, there may be a better option for you to get the coverage that you need. Second, you can often negotiate the costs of fertility treatments. I love that Kristen shared this bit of advice from the fertility finance expert they recently had over at the Fertility Tribe because I think so many people will find it surprising. Fertility clinics are a business, and often there's wiggle room in pricing. Shop around on pricing at local clinics. Ask about options or payment plans that may make treatment more accessible for you. It will likely feel 
kind of uncomfortable, especially because we've been taught to view medical care as a fixed, non-negotiable price, but it's absolutely worth asking. Finally, have conversations with your partner about ways you're willing to get creative to afford treatment. Unfortunately, for many families, infertility treatment is cost prohibitive. People change jobs, take on side hustles, move, and dramatically cut expenses to save up for treatment or gain access to healthcare plans that cover that treatment. There are steps you can take even when it feels impossible. Do some research on what treatment can cost in your area. Then sit down with your partner or with a trusted friend and talk through those options and what makes sense for you. As Kristen said during the interview, and I said at the beginning of this closing, this can be a marathon and can absolutely be all-consuming. Get on the same page about the changes and sacrifices you're willing to make, and be sure you're leaving room for your own mental and physical health care along the way. I'm sending you all the love and support. You've got this. Mamas, I want to thank Kristen again for coming on the show and sharing her story and advice. You can find the links to her site, The Fertility Tribe, in the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-Y-N. If you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend. We appreciate you helping us spread the word. Keep talking money, mamas. We'll see you next time. <laughs>